Over the past uh, several weeks with some interruptions because of my, my travel, seri- uh, uh, travel schedule to do some conferences, I, uh, uh, as I said earlier, we've been doing this Whatever Happened to God uh, reprise on that series I did many years ago. Uh, because it just uh, as I'm preparing for the First Thessalonians series, I I thought it was a good time for us to look back at that because perhaps even more necessary for us now because of the the way things have uh, have been continuing in our wicked world, but also as the church continues by all evidence to decline. Uh, the good thing about that church declining is that. We, we realize that we have problems and uh, we follow the course of Paul, examine yourself that you be found in the faith. We follow the course of Peter, be sure of your calling and your election. And we examine ourselves and we, we, we try to, try to repent, come to repentance and ask the Lord for the grace of repentance. And, and so we, we come back to where we ought to be. But we don't come back to where we ought to be unless we know where we are and drifting away from the Lord as a church. And as I've said over and over, when I talk about whatever happened to God, we could talk about the world out there, those people driving by on the highway down there. We can talk about them, but we shouldn't expect them to live with any consciousness of God outside of that which is common to all men. Uh, but it's the church that it should dis- disturb us that lives like the world. We were just talking in new members class this morning about even the, even the architecture of church buildings being dark and gloomy and shut off from light. That reflects the darkness of this world. Everywhere in the Bible, darkness is, is a, a portent of wickedness. And uh, so we see the church even falling prey to the, the wicked culture around and we can do that as well we're not exempt from that so we've talked about over the last several weeks the the lack of fear of God a good healthy fear of God and that has only increased in the church over the past several years with the rise of of a of a of a what I'd call a, a faux grace movement uh, a fake grace movement. It's, it's, a, it's a grace that's not grace at all. It's like the gospel that Paul talked about when he wrote to the Galatians. He said, you, you started out well, but now you've added to the gospel to the point that it's not even the gospel anymore. It's a heterodoxy. It's a false gospel. And so it begins with a lack of fear, lack of holy reverence. We talked about that, the, the loss of the view of God being holy, holy, holy. And when you lose that, you certainly as an individual and as a church, you lose, lose your moorings as well. You all of a sudden, uh, I was hearing as I drove over just a few short minutes, I'm in the car between the house and here, Alistair begged this morning. And he was just saying, you know, nothing he detests more than a self-righteous church. He says, you know, people come in the church building, they're hurting. They're going through divorces and they're going through uh, illegitimate pregnancies and they're going through this and they're going through that. And, 
and they come in and if everybody appears to be perfect, then they figure that's not the place for them. And uh, he said, you know what causes that, don't you? When churches are so righteous, is because they've lost sight of God's holiness. As Al Martin said many years ago, that if you, if you show me, and if, pardon me for our guest, if you don't know what this means, uh, he says, you show me a Calvinist that's proud, I'll show you a Calvinist that doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't really believe what he says he believes because nothing humbles a man quicker than the concept that God is sovereign and that he saves whom he will, that he's the potter and we're just clay. We talked about that. We, we talked about the failure then to live in light of his righteousness and, and how that we disregard his essential character and his attributes. And um, so today... We finish this little series with, okay, we know we need to recover a good, healthy view of who God is so that we fear him properly, uh, so that we're conscious of his righteousness and our unrighteousness. Um, we need to repent of our sins, obviously, uh, and that brings us to prayer and the importance of prayer. Psalm 106 is a wonderful prayer. So there's no better place to go to learn how to pray and be reminded of, of the necessity of prayer than the Bible. And look at one of the good examples of prayer because there are a, a plethora of examples of prayer in the Bible from early to late. And this is one of them. Now I'm not going to read the whole chapter because I want to, uh, we'll deal with it as I, as I work through the points that you see in the outline in your bulletin. But I, I do want to begin by reading just a few verses here at the very beginning of Psalm 106. Again, his inerrant, infallible word. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his mercy is everlasting. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord or can proclaim all his praise? How blessed are those who maintain justice, who practice righteousness at all times. And now the prayer begins. Remember me, O Lord, in your favor toward your people. Visit me with your salvation so that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the joy of your nation, that I may boast with your inheritance. We have sinned like our fathers. We have gone astray. We have behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name so that he might make his power known. So he rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up and he led them through the mighty waters as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of one who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And then he goes on to chronicle the whole wilderness process and pilgrimage until he comes to the end of the chapter. And he says, nevertheless, he looked at their distress in verse 44 when he heard their cry and he remembered his covenant for their sake. 
and relented according to the greatness of his mercy. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people shall say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, we ask your blessings now on the reading, hearing, and the preaching of your word so that you might be glorified and we might be more holy like Christ. And if there's any here who have never, never tasted and seen that you're good, never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ with their heart, mind, and soul, we ask that you might do that for them now. Bring them to yourself and give them release from their sin debt and hope for today and tomorrow in this life and the life to come. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. First thing I want you to see, I already introduced this, is that prayer begins with a request for the Lord to remember. You see that? In verse 4, after he opens with praise the Lord, and by the way, I did my pastoral prayer in reverse this morning. Some of you may have noticed, usually began with praise, thanksgiving, and petitions. I began with the petitions, went to thanks for the, answering the petitions, then ended with praise for a God who can hear our prayers. This prayer begins with the praise, and that's often the case, and that's why I usually do the pastoral prayer, the way I do it is because usually that's the order. And you see it right here, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord. So you have the praising the Lord and the thanking the Lord. But then verse 4 comes, remember me, Lord, in your favor toward your people. Visit me with your salvation so that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones. So prayer begins with a request and a request for God to remember his people. Now, the, the psalmist here is writing as a believer. So he's not asking God to save him in the sense of change my heart, take away the heart of stone, give me a heart of flesh so that I can have that, that initial, that inaugural faith to believe in you and in the Messiah to come and so be saved from my sins. That's not what he's praying for here. When he says, visit me with your salvation so that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the joy of your nation, that I may boast with your inheritance. Salvation is a much bigger, bigger uh, topic than just simply justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Salvation encompasses everything from God's electing love in eternity to his effectual calling in time and space in your own life to glorification the new heavens and new earth. And so he's praying here, it appears, for what we would call sanctification, that you might cause me to grow in grace so that I might, I might live a life that's more holy and more righteous so that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the joy of your nation. In other words, a salvation should make us not just right with God 
and going to heaven when we die. But the psalmist here is showing us that we ought to pray continually that God make, make me right in all relationships and make me of some use in every relationship, including, you notice, within the context of the nation. And may I boast with your inheritance. And then he goes on after asking the Lord to, to, to visit him, to, 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 to remember him. And by the way, that's just another way of saying, be faithful to your covenant, Lord. And he's going to say that we read that on down there a bit. But anytime the people of God call upon God to remember, they're, they're, remember your covenant. What is it when God put the bow in the air? It wasn't so we would remember. It was so he would remember. And it's not because he forgets, but it's a reminder to us that he remembers. Because we forget that he remembers. Remember? I mean, right? We do. We forget that God remembers. That's why we get anxious and we worry about things. Because we forget that God remembers. But the bow in the air is a reminder to us that he remembers his covenant. And perhaps no one said it more succinctly or better than Calvin when he simply defined a covenant as God binding himself to us. The binding of God in faithfulness and keeping his promises to his people. And so the psalmist begins right there. So here we are. Whatever happened to God? Well, nothing happened to God. We just quit remembering that God is God and we're not in all of his holiness. Second thing, prayer includes a recounting of sins. And that's the long part of this chapter, 6 through 43. I didn't read all of that. I just read enough for you to get a taste of it. We've sinned like our father's. We've gone astray. We've behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. On down, they quickly forgot his works. They didn't wait for his plan. Oh, man, that's convicting, isn't it? You ever do that? Not, not wait for his plan and decide, well, I, I got a plan, so I'm just going to go with this. Instead of seeking the wisdom of the Lord... And know what his plan is. Uh, this, elsewhere in the Proverbs, many are the plans of men. But aren't you glad that for his people, God often thwarts our pitiful plans and puts his plans in place? And sometimes we don't even realize they're in place before we're in the middle of them. And then we look back and we realize we're God took over and it's a good thing they forgot his works they didn't wait for his plan but became lustfully greedy in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert last Sunday evening we talked about this whole thing of uh, greed being a big part of the church's problem he gave them their request sent a wasting disease among them they asked for what they didn't what he didn't want for and God said okay this is what you want. This is where your mind is. I'll just give it to you. Just like he did with Saul. They wanted a king. He gave him Saul. And they got what they deserved. Nothing much. 
But God will do that from time to time. And we have to examine the situation, don't we? What, what does John say in 1 John? We're to test the spirits to be sure they're the spirit of God, not the various spirits of Antichrist that are all around. And so we have to be careful that we check to be sure, okay, I asked for this, God gave it to me, but is it what God wants for me or is it just God letting me see where my sinful desires will take me and what they'll do to me? Parents do that with their children from time to time. Okay, you're going to be hard-headed about this? Go for it. And then they come back with their nose bloodied and, and you get to help them understand that, see, that was your plan. That didn't work out well, did it? A fire blazed up in their company. The flame consumed the wicked. He's going on to tell all. Talks about the calf in Horeb, the metal image, and what that ended up bringing. Um, and on he goes, recounting their sin. Prayer includes the recounting of sins. We don't, we don't pray like that very often, do we? We too often just kind of ignore our sins. And sometimes we do it, here's how we do it. We're very pious in doing this. Lord, I know that your grace extends to a multitude of sins. You've already forgiven me, so I don't have to come ask for forgiveness again. And so we don't. But in not coming and asking for forgiveness again, seven times, 70 times, remember? We just wink at sin. We just kind of shrug sin off. And the longer we do that, the more easy it becomes for us to think sin's not a big deal. Because we're not forced to look at our sin in the mirror of God's holiness that's set forth in the Bible. What has God said about this? Uh, we live in a culture full of this, don't we? And it creeps into the church. Oh, well. Living together. I mean, marriage after all, you know, those vows and things. That's just some sort of man-made thing. And so we wink at illicit relationships. I could go on. It gets more gross, doesn't it? Because we've moved from illicit relationships, heterosexual, to homosexual. And it used to be anathema. And now... It's celebrated. If you don't celebrate it, you're the problem. And that has gradually come upon a culture because we just didn't confront it. We just shrugged it off. We just let it go. Now, we don't have to get into such, such heinous sins. We can do that in our own lives with little bitty things like not telling the whole truth. 
And then before long, telling untruths is not such a big deal. Children to their parents, husbands to wives, and wives to husbands. Our prayers have to include a recounting of sin. You can see it here. We see it in the book of Daniel. Uh, We go back uh, into the historical books, and you see this pattern in prayers of recounting sins, naming your sins, and admitting to God that, yes, I sinned. This is sin. That's a sin against your holiness. Third, prayer includes rehearsal of the steadfast love of God. After he's gone through all those horrible sins of the people, he says in verse 44, Nevertheless, he looked at their distress when he heard their cry, and he remembered his covenant for their sake. What was the first thing he asked him for? Remember. And now what's he saying? He did. So a point in our prayer comes to acknowledging that God did it. He remembered, giving God credit. That's part of what our, our prayers should be is giving God credit, acknowledging to God that we know he did it. You say, but God knows everything. So he knows we know he did it. Yeah, but we need, we need to know that he knows that we know that he did it. He remembered his covenant for their sake. And relented according to the greatness of his mercy. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. In other words, he brought favor upon them. Even in lands where they didn't expect favor. You can go back and read about this. If he looked upon their distress. How about yours? How about mine? Will he look upon our distress? Do we believe that we have a God who is so transcendent that he doesn't, he doesn't sully himself with our concerns? Or do we have a God who's so eminent, so present, that he can't do anything about it even though he is concerned? The answer is no. We have a God who is both transcendent and eminent. He is a God who is transcendent so that he can do something. He's up here. He's able to do all things. But he's also God with us, Emmanuel. So he understands what's going on. He sees what's going on. And he can then do something about it because he, he, he knows what's going on. And he cares. He heard their cry. He remembered. He relented. He brought his people out with joy. He made them the objects of compassion. In chapter 105, or uh, yeah, chapter 105 in verse uh, 43 and 44. And by the way, 105 um, is part and parcel with 106 and they're both tied to second chronicles and um, uh, our first chronicles rather verse 16 and that's where David uh, finally says oh oh the ark 
The ark is not where it's supposed to be. We need to get the ark delivered. And we got that whole episode of how they don't do it rightly and, and, and Uzzah dies and, and, and people get upset about it and God has to explain why he's doing things the way he's doing things. But uh, these chapters, chapter 96 of the Psalms, chapter 105 and chapter 106 are all tied back to that First Chronicles chapter 16 historical setting. So in chapter 105, it shouldn't surprise us, we have something here. He says, he led out his people with joy, his chosen ones with a joyful shout. He also gave them the lands of the nations so that they might take possession of the fruit of the people's labor and that they might keep his statutes and comply with his laws. Praise the Lord. So we pray and he answers our prayers and he brings us out and makes us fruitful people. And then the last thing, prayer includes a petition for communion of saints and thankful hearts. Again, turn back to the end of 106. <clears throat> Save us, Lord our God, and gather us. There's the communion of saints. There's the call for communion of saints. And that should be our prayer all through the week, shouldn't it? Sunday night, we leave this wonderful, joyful place. And our prayer driving home should be, Lord, bring us back next week. We don't presume upon your mercy and your grace. Bring us back, please, one more time so we can gather with the saints. Why? Because we want to worship you. We want to worship God. We want to be with the saints. That's one of the things that, that I love most. I love being one of the first ones to leave here on Sunday night after about 7.30 or so. And people are still just standing everywhere talking and, and, and singing and talking to one another. And children are playing together and parents are singing and talking together. And it's just a wonderful thing, the communion of saints. That's the prayer. Gather us from the nations. Gather us from the people. Don't think geographical landscape here. Nations just means the peoples, the different peoples. Just like he gathered... Uh, Israel from different people groups so he gathers the church today from different people groups in this room right now there's there's people from all sorts of backgrounds and uh, and so it should be because God said it would be gathered us from the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise and then it ends with a blessing bless the Lord Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And by the way, the psalmist thought everybody should say amen to that. There shouldn't be any exception to that rule. Everybody should say amen. Everybody should want that to be the case. Bless the Lord's name after the prayer. As I uh, was praying this morning earlier, uh, before I even came up here to the building, you know, you, you, I was praying. I said, Lord, you know, I want you to bless this sermon this morning and use it. Uh, there are people in this room who have, have, have read the Psalms, and they're, they're quite familiar with Psalm 106. It's a prayer that's a good prayer to pray. You know, we should pray God's word, and this is a good one to pray. And... Uh, and, you know, I'd only have 
30 minutes or so and uh, make this make this efficacious you know make it effectual make it useful for us make it something that changes us so we don't just go back out that's the thing i fear for myself but also for the church every week is you know do we just saunter back out there and nothing changed did god's word mean nothing to us today so if you ever want to know what a pastor's fear is that that's it that's sunday night sitting on the deck looking at the stars just hoping and praying that it changes me and it changes you and we don't end up just being the way we were before we came in the building well i don't know what that's got to do with what i thought next but what i thought next was a song and i didn't have time i i didn't have time to print it off so i'm going to do the unthinkable i'm going to stand here in the pulpit with my phone open and i'm, I'm going to i'm going to read it to you this is a song that's written in 1937 by by a north carolinian named dorsey dixon uh, that probably means nothing to you, but in 1942, it was recorded for, for country music fans, and I'm not talking about the cheap imitation current country music. I'm talking about Roy Acuff and Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. And uh, In 1942, Roy Acuff recorded this and sang it till he died at age 210 or something. And... Uh, it was written when Dorsey Dixon heard in Rockingham, North Carolina, a crash on the highway, and he knew that couldn't be good. And he uh, sauntered down to the road and found this horrible collision, and he wrote this song. Who did you say it was, brother? Who was it fell by the way when whiskey and blood run together? Did you hear anyone pray? You see why I thought of this song? I didn't hear nobody pray. Now, this is bad grammar, kids. Don't imitate this. I, I didn't hear nobody pray, dear brother. I didn't hear nobody pray. I heard the crash on the highway, but I didn't hear nobody pray. When I heard the crash on the highway, I knew what it was from the start. I went to the scene of destruction, and a picture was stamped on my heart. There was whiskey and blood all together, mixed with glass where they lay. Death played her hand in destruction, but I didn't hear nobody pray. I wish I could change this sad story that I am telling you now, but there is no way I can change it, for, for somebody's life is now through. Their soul has been called by the master. They died in a crash on the way, and I heard the groans of the dying but I didn't hear nobody pray. That's a sad song, isn't it? Not just about the death, but he didn't hear anyone praying. There's nobody praying. And I wonder if that's the case with the church. Is the church praying? Well, when we get a good view of the fear of God and the holiness of God and the righteousness of God, his attributes, this is what it should produce, is 
prayer. This song has been covered by all sorts of people. Even, even most recently, the boss, Bruce Springsteen, wrote an adaptation of this song, and it's called The Wreck on the Highway. But if you listen to it, if you read the lyrics, in case you can't understand what he's saying, uh, you'll say, wow, I know where he got that. He got that from Dorsey Dixon, 1937. Wreck on the highway, and I didn't hear nobody pray. So, I didn't want that to be a downer. I want it to be a reminder that we should be a praying people. Prayer is the chief exercise of faith, after all. So if we believe, why aren't we praying? Lord, increase our faith so that our prayer life will increase. Fill our hearts full of your word so that we can pray your word. And if there's any here this morning who don't know how to pray because they don't know Jesus, who is the great, great giver of prayer, the Savior of sinners, we pray that you you give them that prayer of the tax collector. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we know that you hear that prayer because you heard that one. You've heard ours when we've asked you to save us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.